Aloha and welcome to UHA's Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Mike Story, a workplace wellness advisor at UHA. We'll be connecting the dots with some of UHA's doctors and other guests on various health and wellness topics and tips. Connecting the Dots starts now. Today, we're connecting the dots on well-being for the whole you with Ryan Wolf. Ryan is the well-being lead at Gallup, the global research and consulting firm that helps build exceptional workplaces. In his role, he leads Gallup's health and well-being strategies in collaboration with its research, benefits, and external medical and wellness teams. He develops solutions and initiatives for Gallup clients, associate, and family members. Ryan is a seasoned advocate for well-being, presenting Gallup's research and tactical advice to enhance organizations nationwide. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. Ryan, UHA featured you on our webinar. For those of you, or for those of them who weren't able to attend, can you explain what the five elements of well-being are? Yeah, absolutely. So, it was great to it was great to join you on the webinar, and uh, happy to happy to kind of go over some some more information on. It. So, the five elements of well being. Most of us are pretty familiar with physical wellness, right? So, being physically well. That's a lot of times that's what we first think of when we think about wellness or well or well being, and certainly that's part of well being. But really, well being as we research and practice and identify it, it encompasses really all of the things that are important to each of us and how we experience our lives. So we've been researching well-being and happiness and well-lived lives for uh, for a long time, since the, the 1950s. But recently, about 15 years ago, we started partnering with economists and psychologists and scientists and researchers to really discover the most common elements that of, of well-being and your life that you can do something about so they're actionable. So they're career, social, financial, physical, and community well-being. So career well-being, I'll just kind of go over each one real quick. We can go over them in more detail later, but career well-being really is liking what you do every day and being in a role, whether that's at work or at home, and being in a role that gives you purpose or being in or one that you can get purpose from. Social well-being is really about having meaningful friendships and partnerships that give you a lot of support and love in your life. Financial well-being is being able to manage your money well enough to be able to mitigate the, the stresses of finances out of your life. So it doesn't mean you know, making a lot of money. It really means more about being able to live well within your means. Physical well-being is really um, more than just going to the gym, eating broccoli and Brussels sprouts. It's more about building up your energy so that you can do the things in your life that are really important. And then community well-being is at its at a kind of a fundamental state. It's feeling safe, having clean water, good access to nutritious food. But at a higher level, it's about having pride in where you live. Ryan, what research did Gallup conduct to develop these elements? Yeah, so we didn't just pull them out of a hat, Mike. We 
we did what we call uh, what we call now uh, the world polls, where we conducted surveys. I mentioned about 15 years ago on the ground in more than 150 countries that represent more than 98% of the world's residents. So this was conducted from 2001 to 2007. So really long-term project. We conducted at least 1,000 interviews with residents in each and every single of those countries. Um, in, in the countries where it was safe enough for our interviewers to travel, um, to either call in telephonically or to travel on foot or car or boat or by animal. So a lot of the time also was spent on validating questions that we asked to make sure that we were uh, really asking questions that were tested appropriately and and meant the same things to people in vastly different parts of the world where languages and lifestyles and things like cultures and values were really different. So each survey that we completed um, consisted of about 100 items or questions, and it took about 20 to 25 minutes or so to complete each survey. Really, really cool research. Um, Ultimately, our, our lead scientists on the project, they wanted to create an, kind of an actionable and a tangible framework of well-being. So we know that there are things outside of our control that can influence our health and well-being. And probably the biggest one of those is our genetics. But we know that at least at this point in time, we can't control our genetics. Um, they're just given to us. So that's why you don't see it as part of the framework. But a result of the of the research is a tool that we call the well-being finder. And that helps individuals and respondents kind of evaluate how well they're doing in each of those elements and, and how they can improve. You know, right. I was just trying to calculate the amount of work that was involved to go ahead and do this research. I mean, conducted in more than 160 countries, you know, that represents 98% of the world's residents. I mean, that is just amazing. You guys must have a wealth of information. So one of the things I'm, I'm wondering is you mentioned these five elements that you pulled after conducting all this research, you know, career, social, financial, mm -hmm. physical, community well-being. Are all the elements of equal importance or was there one or two of these elements that really bubbled up that Gallup found rose to the top? Yeah, great question. Okay, so for you, Mike, for me, it could be one, it could be physical, it could be community. It might be something that you and I identify as, wow, this, this is kind of my torchbearer element. So you might say right away, oh yeah, that that one, that one's me like financially i know when my cash flow is good when my for when 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 i'm community uh contributing to my 401k um when, when that is uh, is growing and when i have enough money to do the things i really want to do in my life i'm i'm contributing to savings then everything else just kind of falls in place and it feels good but what we found is for most respondents, the majority of um, the largest majority of respondents, we found that career well being was the most significant element of well being because of just how, of, of how much that can cascade into the other elements. So the elements are very interrelated and interdependent on each other. But we found 
that with career well-being, we spend so much time uh, doing work. We used to, a lot, of, a lot of us used to spend it in workplaces. Now, a lot of times we, we're doing that at home or in a hybrid fashion. But um, for most respondents who have, who have uh, uh, taken our, our well-being finder, it's career well-being is the most significant element. That's really interesting um, when you talk about career being um, the one that bubbled to the top. You know, I've experienced, as I'm sure others have, that a job that is not the right fit can lead to an unhealthy lifestyle. Conversely, a job that is the right fit can lead to healthy lifestyle habits. But Ryan, what do the Gallup numbers say? Do you think that people are looking for their workplace to improve their overall quality of life? So that's that's a good topic to get into because I think that certainly there is evidence that points that points towards uh, yes, so people are definitely looking at and expecting their either their workplace or maybe it's their manager um, or their coworkers to really contribute to improved quality of their life. So, and we're seeing this, right? We're seeing a lot in the great resignation. People are shifting in the market. Some people are switching employers, are switching jobs. Some are deciding to, to take some time to, to upskill, to maybe learn new skills, to get education and maybe re-enter at another point in time. Some are deciding that staying out of the market out of, out of employment is actually the best thing for them. So it's a super interesting time um, to, to kind of ask that question and, and to evaluate it as well. So what I kind of think of it, there's two sides of the coin. So let's say you're a leader or a manager within your organization. It's really important for you to understand just how significant the, the numbers are for turnover and for well-being and for resilience. If you actively work on things like employee engagement, and identifying strengths and playing to individual strengths and also focusing on individual well-being. So when those three items, um, engagement, strengths, and well-being are being acted upon intentionally, we've got some great numbers out there uh, at news.gallup.com. You can see just uh, just how significant um, so, some, some metrics are uh, in your workplace. Let's say you're an employee, though, on the other side of the coin, kind of understanding that leaving your organization might not fix really everything that you're hoping it might. So, so I would I would suggest asking yourself some questions about your career career well-being and really all the five elements of well-being. Um, if you feel like moving on is the right thing to do, um, I would encourage you not to just look for a new organization, but to shop as well for a new manager. So um, your manager has a huge impact on your well-being. In addition to the organization you choose or the job you choose, really identify whether or not your manager is someone who you feel uh, truly cares about your well-being. And that's where uh, a, a good a good place to start would be. The research shows that our brain lights up when we're given a gift and, and better yet, it, it lights up more. Or I can say it sparkles when we give a gift. And a great mm -hmm. form of gift giving is through community service. So with the ongoing pandemic, how can someone still feel like they're fulfilling their community well-being, especially when we're being told to socially distance? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what we found really is, is that the pandemic 
has has provided challenges with all the elements of well-being. Certainly, the pandemic was a was a physical. Uh, initially, it was a physical um, consequence, or it started as um, you know physical illness, but it cascaded into all the other elements. Um, and it's hard. Uh, really right now because the normal ways that we were used to serving our community or they're kind of uh, either we can't do them now or they might be frowned upon now or just it, it might not exactly be safe to conduct it so um so it's kind of been turned on its head but it's it's still an important part of our dna and who we are and and how we can live a good life and, and actually our research has found that community well-being is a is a big differentiator between a good life and a great life. And that's really because people get a great sense of fulfillment when they when they really believe that they are part of something that is bigger than just themselves and that they are really significantly um, contributing to the greater good. So what I would recommend is really to start as local as possible. So for our listeners here, on, um, on the call, think about how you can help your state. Um, and then think about how it really, and then zoom in, how could you help your island? Uh, how could you help your city? Or how could you help just your neighborhood or even just your your neighbors next door? Certainly there's, there's big demand globally um, for, for help, donations, service, but our research shows us that we really should act locally to get the most out of this element of well-being. So certainly it's okay to think globally, but let's act locally. And that's, and, and honestly, it's the most logical way for us. So really the world and, and every community inside the world needs helpers. So, so how can you help now? So thinking about think about something that you could do that really suits your strengths and your innate capabilities and your skills and talents. So identify what your talents are and try to connect that with a local organization that you might be able to virtually help. So think, think about things like maybe you're a good project manager. You might be a good writer or editor or designer. Maybe you're good at bookkeeping, accounting, something like that. Maybe you're, maybe you know about social media marketing, or if you're in sales, fundraising is something you could do. So really try to pair your skills with a need at a, a not-for-profit within your organization or within, sorry, within your community. Um, our research also shows that we should do something that is personally interesting to us. So don't be afraid to, you know, turn down some ideas that might be traditional or um, really high need in order to take on stuff that you really want to do. Kind of sounds counterintuitive at first, but um, but, but really do community well-being, do it for you, for your own greater good, because it's going to help improve all the other elements of your life. So sounds, sounds maybe selfish a little bit, um, but really it's not because you're, because you're contributing to your community. And another thing is, is to really do something that is 
easy. Make it simple. So things like helping your neighbor, pick up your neighbor's newspaper and bring it to their door, um, mow their lawn if you know they're really busy or out of town, or do something as simple as bring their trash can back to their house after the garbage truck drives by. Um, when you go for your, your nightly walk with the family or your spouse, maybe every now and then bring a small sack that you can fill up with trash along the way. You can do things like donate books to libraries um, and it, do, the, do things that are just really simple, small, um, easy, but significant. And you can do them humbly, quietly, and feel really good intrinsically at the end of each day. Um, I'll say, uh, you know, when I was, when I talked with you last month, Mike, about uh, when we were on the webinar, I, I talked about quickly about my trip to Kauai. And one of the best uh, things that I saw while I was there um, what was a community well-being act. So, so I'm from Nebraska and uh, the beach scene is, is obviously pretty rare for us. Uh, but we were at the beach quite a bit when we were, when we were in Hawaii last uh, couple months ago. And um, there were also some, some other visitors on the beach. So um, seals were on the beach all the time. So, and you're probably familiar with this and I'm sure that the listeners are as well. But when those seals came ashore to hang out and to, to veg out and sleep in the sand, there were groups of volunteers who came. Uh, they were called probably by the lifeguards and uh, they staked out rope, um, just kind of a, you know, a nice perimeter around the seal just to keep the public away um, and to keep, you know, honestly, just to keep the public safe and also to keep seals safe. So these volunteers were they're, they're protecting a couple, you know, a couple of different areas of interest. And I chatted with them for a while because, you know, it was super new to me and it was, it was really cool. And I was there with my sons just chatting with them. And they, um, what I learned was these people really love to hang out at the beach. They liked to talk and interact with other people. They were also really interested in helping the wildlife and the environment. So, it was a really good example of how these people, and, and if we can only all do this, um, would be better off and can, and can thrive in our community well-being. But they really mixed their their interests with their talents and a need for the community. That's a, a great recommendation. You know, when I listen to you talk, I, I, I envision what I do every morning. I have this routine where I go out and I'll walk my dog or I'll run with my dog. And every single morning I see the same gentleman walking. And what he does uh, when he walks by a driveway that has a newspaper laying in it, you know, the guys that deliver the newspapers in the morning, oh, yeah. they drive by in the car and they just sort of throw the newspaper, it can land in the yard, the bushes, wherever. This guy, he will pick up that person's newspaper and he'll take it to their doorstep and he'll lay it on their doorstep. After he does that, he comes up back out and he'll continue walking always has a smile on his face and he always greets everybody he sees in the morning with a big smile a big hello and it just lights up my day when i see that see him do that and i imagine that smile that he has every morning is because he is doing this very um small community service act like you're talking about he's keeping it close to home it is so simple but it's so meaningful for everybody so i love that you know right you talked about five elements of well-being, and you just gave us a tip on how to improve our community well-being. What tips would you give someone 
who would like to improve the other elements of well-being, career, social, financial, and physical. Yeah, so there's there's tons of tons of great ways to really think um, really simply about the other four elements as well. So I'll start with career well-being. So one of the the foundations of career well-being is learning and growing and having the opportunity to learn and grow in your job, and that's a foundation of that we know of. of of uh, employee engagement as well. So within your role, think about how you can learn something new or learn something that's interesting and really valuable to your team, or maybe it's for your boss, or maybe it could be someone who reports directly to you that you can learn and pass that on for um, for organizational fulfillment. Um, if you're an employee, ask your manager kind of what steps you could take to learn and grow within your role. So, so that's a career piece of advice. So social, with social well-being, I think a big one right now is to find someone who really cares about your well-being and be someone who cares about others' well-being. So find an accountability partner. Um, we found that those who have high social well-being um, have people in their lives who care about their total well-being. So that means really being uplifting and being encouraging and you know, find someone that that you can count on to care about your well-being and demonstrate that you care about their well-being in return. This can be, you know, this is pretty obvious at home um, where we live with our loved ones, um, but but extend this outside of your home too. And, and um, this can be uh, with your friendships that you have uh, that either are outside the workplace or even inside the workplace. And this really spreads uh, when you can, um, you know, it's one, it's one of those things truly where the more, uh, the more you give, the more you get. With financial well-being, I would encourage you to just kind of think about some things that you might be able to live without right now. It's always important to, uh, to, audit and evaluate, but really think about maybe what are one or two things that I don't necessarily need right now, but I see it reoccurring as an expense in my budget. Um, and it's, it's just something that, you know, I might be able to give up right now and um, it, it could, I might be able to, it might be able to contribute to how I feel in terms of the, the safety and being able to mitigate the risks that or, or the stress that come along with with finances with physical well-being this is one where there's there's so many things you can do you can all obviously start small um, what I love Mike is is how um, you've got that example of how uh, the gentleman in your community he he's combining elements of physical and community well-being he goes on his walk while he's on his walk he's contributing to the community um, so that starts small there. Um, another thing, though, that's big to consider is how many preventative screenings and appointments that were skipped last year or they were just missed last year due to the pandemic. So our healthcare um, friends and resources were really focused on uh, on other things other than preventative screenings last year. And a lot of us missed those appointments. So but they're coming back and it's important to get those um, to get those done either for yourself or to encourage your loved ones to get those 
to get those done. So the key ones that I'm thinking about that I communicate about a lot are things like mammographies. So today is actually, um, when we're recording this, um, it's October and um, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So mammographies, um, colon cancer screenings, OBGYN screenings, skin cancer screenings, um, even a simple annual preventative physical with your doctor where he or she can screen for things that are that are important and prevalent, things like high blood pressure, stroke, heart disease, diabetes. All of these items that I mentioned, Mike, are all covered in, uh, they're, they're covered by the ACA as preventative care. So these are not out-of-pocket screenings that we will incur as um, as patients, but they're, they're items that, um, that our health plan will pay for. You brought up um, a really good point. Um, and that is that people put a lot of things on hold, uh, you know, over the last year or so. Um, and with so many people adjusting to so many different things, you know, including their work environment, not only just what's been going on in the world, it, it, it could bring up feelings of, of burnout and anxiety. And, yeah. and I've read the next global crisis, maybe a mental health pandemic. Can you share what you and Gallup are seeing through your research? Yeah, we do a lot of we do a lot of cool research um, on this topic, and you know it's just a topic that we couldn't we we just absolutely couldn't ignore at all um, last year or before or even now. So our research really has some leading indicators that yes, that um, that that mental health might be the next um, might be the next pandemic, and I um, some we we evaluate we measure. Um, mental health and well-being pretty frequently. So we measure things like enjoyment and happiness and worry and stress and anger and, and sadness. And we've seen some improvements in those numbers um, from, from the onset of, of the pandemic to, to where we are today. But there's, there's still a lot, a huge area of improvement. So one thing I've been thinking about is loneliness and um, uh, that's something that that we measure. We ask people um, in the last twenty in, in the last day, um, did you feel a lot of loneliness? So, in March of of last year, one in five adults um, identified with being lonely yesterday, and and that number has improved to just one in six now, but it's still really high. It just seems so high. Um, that, that that many people, one in six people that we pass are feeling really lonely. So it's an improvement, um, but um, it's just not, it's not quite good enough. And it's something that we can address within our role, either in our home or, or as, as friends, uh, as members of our community uh, and as leaders and contributors at work. It's interesting. Why isn't mental well-being an element within your five elements? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so great question. We get it a lot. Um, and we've kind of identified mental well-being as really the best way to think about mental well-being when you're looking at our framework is to know that it's entrenched into every single one of the five elements. And you can also think about mental well-being as uh, also as a product or an outcome 
of the five elements. So when we're thriving, when we're feeling really good in all of these elements, uh, when, we're, when we're checking the boxes on physical, social, financial, community, career, one of the, one of the great outcomes is mental health. We feel, we feel good about it. But really mental health is health period. One of the coolest uh, research projects that we've conducted on mental health recently that anybody can go out there and check out um, on, our, on our website is a qualitative analysis that we conducted with more than 200 CHROs in the US. So chief of human resource officers. So leaders of human resources um, in large organizations. We found um, we found they're doing some things that are common uh, among a lot of workplaces. So they're really um, they're really encouraging the use of EAPs, and they're they're marketing and normalizing EAPs. So employee assistance programs; those are wonderful underutilized uh, resources where utilization rates are somewhere between one to five percent per employer. That um, the, and, and, and sometimes there's still just some stigma associated um, and, and, and worry that there's not anonymity um, in their utilization, but um, the best organizations are really normalizing the use of EAPs. They've also been doing some really regular pulse surveying. So they're kind of taking the temperature of the culture and, and asking employees how things are going. There's bunch of bunch of um, you know questions that we can ask on a regular basis that really can help us evaluate well-being mental health how things are going how thing how people are feeling and another thing uh, that that um, CHROs are doing is asking managers to really improve their ability to have more caring conversations to so to kind of improve their soft skills really be open to more conversations about well-being, asking good questions about well-being that, that aren't awkward, that really are um, strengths-based, and integrating well-being into developmental conversations. So when we're talking about work, we're also talking about well-being. Um, you know, I think one of the uh, so, so for listeners, I think a really good way to think about mental well-being is to really identify with the four needs of followers. So this is literature from Gallup that that is uh, that's classic at this point. So there's been a lot written about it. But um, so as you're leading in your life, whether that's at work or home, or uh, whether your job title uh, is a manager, or whether you're just an informal leader. Um, this is for you and for you to identify. So the four needs are stability, trust, hope, and compassion. So, so with stability, really help people feel confident about their place within the organization. With hope, be really clear about the plans for the future and tell people how they will be involved in these plans. With trust, really, um, help, uh, you know, keep people informed about what's going on. Be transparent about all the things that you can be transparent about that really matter. And, um, and the things that you don't need to guard um, just because you might have guarded them in the past. And that will improve trust. With compassion, really show how much you care. One of the key uh, predictors of low worry, low stress is 
whether employees think their organization cares about their well-being. We ask that question. So look out for people's best interests all the time and direct people to resources that help them you know, improve all the five elements that, that we've been discussing here. Yeah, what that brings up to my mind when you're talking about this part of it is that, uh, you know, creating a safe place at work yeah. or wherever it could be for a person so they can share those sorts of things. And as always, we highly encourage um, everyone to consult uh, their healthcare provider before making any changes. Um, as I say that, let's talk about making some changes. So making a behavioral shift towards any of the elements can be difficult. What advice would you give someone who's just starting their journey to well-being? Yeah, that's, that's great. So one of the things that I always find fascinating is, is just how we need to start thinking about um, playing to our our, um, a lot of times we think, okay, um, I know I need to, I know I need to work out or eat healthy because my, in my future years, I want a healthy body. So when I'm, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the line, I don't want to have chronic diseases that I have, uh, I've been avoiding these healthy habits. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, um, now, now I'm facing these issues really, um, what we found in our research is that it's not motivating enough for us to picture our future self and change our habits today. So what you need to do, what we need to think about, and this is, this is easier said than done, but we need to play to our, our immediate needs. So let's think of it. Let's, let's, Let's just for example, let's think about sitting down and eating an unhealthy meal. So picture your most unhealthy meal. Maybe it's a hamburger and fries, or maybe it's chicken nuggets and French fries, but it's not motivating enough for us to think about, okay, if I eat this here today, it might affect me long-term down the road when, I, when I'm older. Um, that's not enough motivation for us to choose something that's healthier. But what, it, what can be motivating is to think about, how is this meal going to make me feel in 10 minutes, 20 minutes after I'm done? Am I going to feel really energetic and feel like, wow, I really did something good for myself? chances are not super high, um, not super likely. So identify what might make you feel good about yourself, what will give you good sustainable energy um, over the next two to three hours and make your decision based on that. You know, uh, I have to imagine that going it alone can be very difficult, but to lean on somebody or to have that support um, can be very important when they are starting um, a journey to well-being and, and beyond. Do you have any suggestions for our audience on how they can encourage or support maybe a family member or a friend uh, with their elements of well-being? Yeah, definitely. So the, the important thing is just having having a conversation about it that is is comfortable and safe. So sometimes that can be very difficult with someone who we're really close to, someone who we love. Um, but really we can do some of these things in a stealth manner. So, you know, it, it's important for us to know just how much we influence the well-being of others. So if we 
can make some small steps by you know, bringing home some groceries that might be a little healthier than they were last month or changing around some of our activities um, that, that we do on a regular basis. So instead of just retiring to the couch and to the lazy boy after dinner, maybe we're getting outside right away and doing a quick walk or playing, um, playing with kids, um, uh, going for a bike ride with them, taking them to the park. So we're standing and moving instead of sitting right away. And when we can start to kind of implement some of these things for ourselves, maybe you're, maybe you can just do it for you. Those who we are socially connected to closely will be influenced by it and they will see it and it will become easier for them to also participate in the new and healthy habits that you're instituting. Thank you, Ryan, for helping us connect the dots on well-being for the whole you. Connecting the Dots is a UHA-sponsored podcast. If my workplace offers UHA health insurance, how do I check if my physician is part of the UHA network? Where do I go to review my health plan benefits? Can I order my prescriptions online? Do you cover telehealth appointments with my doctor? I'm a business owner. How can I get a quote for UHA health insurance? At UHA, we're here to make healthcare simple. For all these answers, just go to our website at uhahealth.com.